Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our 6pm service. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Alrighty, 6pm if you want to wrap up your conversations, feel free to continue them afterwards. Go out, enjoy some food with some friends. Tonight, I want to start by asking you all a question. And it's a question that I do want you to think about. Do not feel like you have to actually don't answer it out aloud, but I want you to think about it in your, in your head. If you were to rate yourself on a scale and the scale down this end was someone who is a faithful person, But then over on this side, you had someone who was a flaky person. Where would you rate yourself on that scale? Are you a faithful person or are you a flaky person? And if I was to rate myself on this scale, I would rate myself probably somewhere on minimally faithful. That's what I would... Thanks for that laugh. That is uh, how I would rate myself. Now, just to help us make sure we're on the same page, when we talk about flaky, this is what I mean. And it's from the Brown's Dictionary, which I'd never heard of before, and it's the street definition, okay? So we're going real classy here. It's not dependable nor trustworthy. Faithful, on the other hand, which I found from the dictionary in the back of my Bible, probably a little bit more reliable, says trustworthy or loyal. And for me to help myself figure out exactly where I would be on this scale, this week I did a BuzzFeed quiz, which I knew would help me, you know, determine exactly where I fitted. And I had to answer a question like, if you were to respond to a Facebook event invite that you weren't planning on going to, Would you A, say yes, because then I can always cancel later. B, say no, because I might as well be honest. C, say maybe, don't even know why they have a maybe, but that way I'm just keeping things ambiguous. Or D, would you ignore it in the hopes that that is a clear enough no? And I am the latter because Firstly, I'm just really bad with Facebook and I don't really respond to Facebook event invites, so I ticked D. And then another question was, how long does it usually take for you to reply to a text after you've seen it? A, I respond almost immediately. B, within an hour or so. And C, I forget and respond a few days later. And if you have ever sent me a text message, you would know that I am C. I uh, am really bad at responding to any kind of contact, to be honest. Face-to-face, I'm awesome. Please address all your needs to me face-to-face. That would be amazing. But there are a whole bunch of questions along the similar lines at this, but it got me thinking that there is actually very little in our culture that wills us, that encourages us to be faithful people. And RSVP used to mean something. But now I'd say, and probably even more since COVID, it's totally acceptable to pull out of things for no reason at all. Our commitments are becoming short-term, uncertain, and relatively easy to get out of. 
My grandfather, he worked for the same employer his entire working life. And statistics would say that the median number of years that employees have worked for their current employer is 4.1 years. And when I did the math on my own working life, much to my surprise, because remember, I think I'm a minimally faithful person, it wasn't looking good. I've been out of school for 18 years, and in those 18 years, I have had nine jobs. And so if you're good at math, firstly, you can work out how old I am, but secondly, (laughs) I've averaged two years with each employer. And now I'm starting to think that maybe BuzzFeed was right. Maybe I am a super flaky person. Did I say that I was a super flaky person, what I came out as? Great, mind frozen. Um, So this idea of sticking at something, at persisting at something, even when it becomes hard and difficult, it's not actually something that our culture encourages. You know, when things start to get tough or become hard or things aren't working out as quickly or as efficiently as we'd like them to, or we just become bored with something, It is very acceptable to throw in the towel, to give up, to upgrade to a newer and a better better model. And I am sure we've all ditched a phone because it's glitchy and we know that the new model will be faster and more reliable. And I know this because no one's walking around with a Nokia 360 or whatever it was called (laughs) and playing Snake on their phone. But living in this way, where commitments are relatively easy to get out of, actually makes living the way that God intended us to live quite challenging, especially when it comes to committing to a lifelong marriage relationship. And tonight we're wrapping up our Our House series and we're going to be talking about marriage. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at how we can establish this sense of home in the different seasons of our lives, when we're in dating relationships, in our singleness, and tonight we're finishing with marriage. And as we open up God's Word, we're going to see that cultural influences have had a significant impact on marriage for nearly all of human history, yet God's plan and purpose for marriage still remains the same. And I believe that God wants to remind us tonight that firstly, He is not a flaky God. He is in fact a very faithful God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He calls us to be faithful people. And if we want to live in the way that he created us to live, then being a faithful person will not only help us become more of who God is calling us to be, but being faithful will help our marriages and our future marriages flourish in the way that God intended that they would. Now, as Stacey said last week, marriage is not the be all and end all. Please hear that tonight. We are going to be talking a lot about marriage, but it is not the pinnacle of life. It is not the pinnacle of all relationships. But I do believe that God, the one who created marriage, has a desire to see each marriage that is entered into be all that he created it to be. 
And 12 and a half years ago, I stood on this very stage. The stage looked a little bit different back then. And I made a commitment, a commitment that I would from that day promise to be faithful to Tim, who's walking down the aisle to me this time, ironically. <laughs> I made up, that was perfect timing. Good work, we practiced, no, we didn't practice that at all. Um, but I made a commitment to be faithful to him. I made a promise to be faithful to him no matter the circumstance. And to be honest, I'm not sure I actually grasped the enormity of what I was committing to as I said those vows. I stood there knowing that in that moment that I loved the man standing before me. He was handsome, he was intelligent, he was kind, he was adventurous, he loved Jesus, ticked all the things, actually kicked some of the things on my list. <laughs> but as we stood before our friends and family and then made these promises to each other, we were committing not only to be faithful to each other in the short term, but we were promising to always choose to love and be faithful to each other even when we didn't feel like it. And Tim Keller writes this, he says, a wedding is not so much a claim of present love as a promise of future love. And tonight we're gonna open up God's word, we're gonna read Matthew 19, and we're gonna see that this challenge to be faithful is not just something that our culture struggles with, but it has been a constant struggle throughout history. But before we read this passage, I just wanna acknowledge that for some here tonight, you may have been affected by divorce. You might yourself have been through a divorce, or maybe you are a child of divorce, your parents have divorced. And I just wanna firstly acknowledge the complexities and the heartbreak that comes with every relationship breakdown. And although this passage raises a whole bunch of questions about divorce, our focus tonight is on marriage. And if your story has had divorce as a part of it, then know that our heart as a church, just as and even more so God's heart, is to be present with you as you navigate and continue to navigate that part of your story. And my prayer is that those who have been affected by divorce, however that is, that you would tonight know God's love and grace and his faithfulness to you through whatever season that you walk through. The encouragement though, I think in this passage is that even in Jesus' day, people were wanting to know the ins and outs of marriage and divorce. It's not a new challenge. It's something that has been present since the fall. It's a product of living in a broken world. But Jesus, he is not content to leave us in this place. Jesus points people back to where it all started and reminds us of the call to faithfulness. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up with me. It's also gonna come up on the screen. We're gonna read Matthew 19, starting in verse one. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? I'm going to stop there because the, the Pharisees, they ask Jesus' question. It says it right there. Not because they really want to know the answer. They ask the question in order to try and trap Jesus. And in first century Israel, there was this raging debate over a somewhat cryptic passage in Deuteronomy 24. And this is the cryptic passage. And you'll start to see how marriage divorce was a thing. It's a very complicated passage. I'm probably going to read through it quickly because there's only one bit we want to focus on. So if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, remember that language, something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled, that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Complicated, right? So Jesus, by Jesus' day, this debate was over what was particularly meant by this something indecent. And there were primarily two schools of thought. And Shammai, who was a conservative thinker, interpreted something indecent to be the act of adultery and nothing else. Whereas there was a school of a thought through Halal, who was a more progressive thinker, and he understood this phrase, something indecent, to embrace a multitude of much less serious things, like for any and every reason, this phase, phrase that the Pharisees use. And scholars have found this turn of phrase on divorce certificates from around the time of Jesus any and every reason. And Halal was even say, uh, known to have said that one may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. I mean, talk about flaky. I just have to burn the dinner and done. And this Halal's view was a common view in Jesus' day. And the Pharisees are wanting to see, not necessarily the truth on the issue, but they were wanting to see, will Jesus, will he align himself with the liberal thinkers or will he align himself with the conservative thinkers? And we see Jesus reply in verse four. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus doesn't get drawn into their trap, but instead he immediately takes it back to the beginning, takes it back to Genesis, takes it back to the garden where it all began, before the fall, before sin entered the world. It's like Jesus is pulling back the curtains on God's purpose for humanity and marriage by going back to Genesis 1 and 2. And Jesus goes back to what theologians call creational intent. You know, looking back to how we are created, the purpose we are created for to help us discover more about the situation that we currently find ourselves in. And as we look back to the beginning, before the fall, 
we can see that Jesus, uh, that God's vision and design, not just for marriage, but for human flourishing. We can see it in Genesis 1. We're going to read 26 and 27. God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And here we see God's original intended purpose for creation. Perfect humankind created in the image of God to rule over a perfect creation as God's representatives. We are created to be God's image bearers. So as people look to us, as they look to the story that we are telling with our lives, our purpose is to bear the image of God, to reflect God. And he's given us a job to do. The job is to rule over his creation. And so before we talk about God's plan and design for marriage, it only makes sense to first look at God's plan and design for us as individuals, for us as humanity. We are to be image bearers of God. And we are to rule, and as one Hebrew scholar has translated it, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. But culture will tell you a different story. Our culture will tell you that the purpose of your life is to fulfill your every desire, that you deserve to make yourself feel good, that you deserve to make yourself look good, that you can define your own destiny, that happiness will come. It is possible if you just try harder or think more positively. This is the story that the world will tell you. But God, the one who made you and who knows you, he says that your purpose is to bear his image and to be formed more and more into Christ's likeness so as to reflect God's glory, so as people would look at your life and say, I actually see something of God in you. And it is with this in mind that we should then understand God's design for marriage. And Jesus goes on to quote Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus is pointing them back to the original design for marriage. A man is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Still, as they come together, are reflecting something of the image of God. And this idea of two becoming one is this idea of being glued together. And I don't know if you have ever had to super glue something together. I have uh, super glued my fair share of toys back together. But I remember specifically one time when Saxon came to me, my eldest son, and he had his Lightning McQueen in one hand and Lightning McQueen spoiler in the other hand. And it had snapped off and he said, Mommy, can you fix it? And I said, sure, because I'm amazing at fixing things. The next day, Saxon was very excited when he woke up and he saw that Lightning McQueen was back together. The world was as it should be. 
And he looked at it closely and said, Mum, you've glued it on the wrong way. <laughs> and so then I spent the next couple of days trying to tear apart what I had so painstakingly put together. And let me tell you, when you buy really good super glue, it is really difficult to get a spoiler off Lightning of Queen's back. It is, I was like there ripping it, prying it off. And when I finally did manage to get it off, it was just time to throw that car away because the car no longer had its current form and the spoiler was no longer a spoiler. It caused more damage than where we started. And this idea that Jesus is getting at is that when something is glued together, when the two become one, it's not supposed to be separated. And the Pharisees were thinking, maybe like you're thinking, well, if that is the way that it's supposed to be, why on earth would we have Deuteronomy 24 in the Bible? And they asked the question in verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. And I want you to notice the change in language here. The Pharisees, they ask, why did Moses command? And Jesus says, hey, hold your horses. Moses didn't command. Jesus says, Moses permitted. And in the Old Testament, God gave some commands to set up, set up his vision for human flourishing. But rabbis had termed that there was also these kind of negative commands or concessions to tell you what to do when people had sinned and fell short of God's vision for human flourishing. And here Jesus is inferring that this is not a command, but it is permitted by Moses. And most likely it's being permitted by Moses to protect women from abuse in a patriarchal society. Notice God's protection of women long before it was culturally appropriate to do so. But also notice what it goes on to say is the reason that Moses permitted it. He says, because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus is acknowledging this tension that we live in. We are created to be a faithful people. We are created to be image bearers of God, our creator. Yet it's not the reality that we live in. We live on the other side of the fall where people's hearts are hardened towards God, where hearts are far from God, and it is difficult for a marriage to flourish when hearts are hard. And verse 9 says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Because Jesus seemingly draws a bit of a line in the sand when it comes to divorce. But we know that marriages have ended for a whole bunch of reasons, not just sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul even kind of alludes to this idea of divorce uh, due to absence. And as I mentioned, this passage, it raises a whole bunch of questions that we actually aren't trying to get into tonight. 
And so we'll move on to verse 10 because it does lighten the mood just a little bit. The disciples said to him, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And I can just imagine the disciples, they've heard Jesus' response. It's probably not the response that they were thinking that Jesus would have. You know, it sounds like this marriage thing is a big commitment. And they're saying, you know, well, maybe if that's, that's it, maybe it's just better that we don't marry. It's better to stay single. And that's the one takeaway from tonight. It's just better to stay single. No, there is more to it than that. So what does this passage in Matthew 19 mean for us today? For those of us who are married, for those of us who are soon to be married, for those of us who hope to be married, even for those of us who may never marry. I actually believe this passage reminds us there there is a call for each one of us to faithfulness instead of flakiness. And first and foremost, it's to be faithful to God. Whatever season you're in, whatever life stage you are at, if you want to live a life that flourishes, it requires you to be faithful. And we see this all throughout Scripture. God sets up his vision for human flourishing, yet time and time again, his people, they choose flakiness over faithfulness. You just have to look at the Israelites in the time of Moses when they couldn't even be faithful long enough for Moses to go up the mountain and get the Ten Commandments where he sets out the commands on how to flourish as a people. By the time that he comes down, they have chosen to worship other idols. They've made other idols to worship. They have chosen flakiness over faithfulness. It has been a constant battle since the fall, but it is a battle that we must fight if we are to be the people that God has created us to be. We need to be people who are faithful first and foremost to our Creator God. But what does that look like? Maybe for you it looks like this. You know, if you say, I really, I really need to pray more, actually pray more. Don't just think about it. Actually do it. I have for the last couple of years had a New Year's resolution to pray more. And I have been very unsuccessful in doing that. And I decided the other week that, that I just needed to do it. And God has been so good to me. It just revealed more things of his heart as I've taken the time to set aside time just to be with him and to pray. And if you think to yourself, I really should read the Bible. I don't actually know much of God's word. Don't just think about it. Actually pick it up and read it. If you decide that coming to church or coming to life group or doing something helps you keep accountable in your faith, then actually make the commitment to come along and show up every week. And don't let a better offer get in the way of that commitment. 
And it's not that these things, that praying, reading the Bible, coming to church, coming to life group, it's not that those things make you faithful to God, but they remind you about who God is and who He created you to be that helps you on that journey of being faithful. Remember, faithfulness is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so as you go on the journey of following Jesus, don't give up when it just gets too hard, when it feels like God isn't there or when God doesn't answer the prayers that you're praying in the way that you wanted to. Being faithful is trusting that God is who He says He is and He will do what He will. It's being loyal to God just as God is loyal to you. And so the challenge for each of us tonight is to be faithful to God. But secondly, the challenge is to be faithful in your marriage. And as we read tonight, marriage was created to be something that lasts a lifetime. This idea of two becoming one, a permanent joining together. And for that to happen, faithfulness is required. And I know that we're all in different seasons here tonight. We've got those who are married, those who may have been through a divorce, those who are single. And so tonight, maybe for the person who is married, this is a reminder to be faithful to your spouse, whatever you're going through in your season of marriage. Don't let culture convince you that flakiness is gonna come into your marriage. Choose to be faithful. And to the person who maybe is going through or has been through divorce, maybe the encouragement tonight is that although God's design for marriage was to last a lifetime, there is actually comfort in knowing that this is an age-old wrestle and God's love and grace and faithfulness to you despite your circumstances actually inspires you to continue to be faithful to God and your relationships. But primarily, I want to talk as we land this tonight to those who are not yet married. And I believe that the challenge for you tonight is to practice faithfulness now so that your future marriage can flourish. You know, if you struggle to be faithful now, if you are not a particularly faithful person, not just in relationships, but in anything, don't just expect that a faithfulness switch will be flicked on when you end up getting married and for it to come really naturally to you. In a culture where flakiness is common, I encourage you to find ways to practice and grow in your ability to be faithful. Be a person of your word. If you say you're gonna do something, then make sure you actually take the time to do that thing. If you make a commitment, whether it's to a party or doing a uni assignment with a friend or something in your job, then make that commitment and stick with it. If you say you're gonna attend something, attend it even if something better comes up. Persevere in that job a little longer, even if it feels difficult. And another way that you can practice faithfulness now is to make physical boundaries in your current relation, relationship and actually keep them. 
And I just uh, want to talk briefly, a little bit specifically right now, to the physical side of relationships for a moment. I've had a whole bunch of chats with young people over the years about why they should save sex for marriage, or even how far is too far. Where is that line that I need to be making boundaries for so I don't cross that line? And I could talk to you tonight about God's plan for sex inside of a marriage relationship. We could talk about the physical and spiritual bonds that form. We could talk about how Paul doesn't say, hey, why don't you just get as close as you can to the edge of a cliff and try and not fall off. What Paul actually says is flee from sexual immorality, which doesn't mean get as close as you can get, but it means turn away and run in the other direction. We could talk about all those things, but there's one thing that I rarely hear talked about. And it's this, that when you get married, you know, your sexual desires and attractions, they don't just miraculously become solely focused on your spouse. You are created to be a sexual being and attraction and desire can be strong. And if you have never had to control your desires, if you have never had to say no to an attraction, then what makes you think that just marriage will change that? Most people who, mar- who enter into a marriage relationship, their intention is to remain faithful to their spouse. But if you have never had to say no to an attraction, you will not be practiced in how to do that. And my encouragement tonight is to practice self-control, practice faithfulness now, so that you can know that you can say no. So that you know that you can be faithful to your spouse. You can actually choose to be faithful to your future spouse now by sticking to your boundaries in your current relationship, whether that person will be your spouse or not. Getting off my soapbox now, okay? For a marriage to flourish, it requires you to be faithful. And so I ask you the question, particularly those tonight who are not yet married, who look to marriage as something in their future, the question for you tonight is how can you practice faithfulness now to make your future marriage flourish? And the final thing that this passage shows us is that things do not always go to plan. We live in a world where it is not like it was in the beginning. And does that mean that we should say, you know, well, if I can't truly fulfill my purpose, why should I even bother? No. Knowing that we live on the other side of the fool, where things are not like they were in the beginning, should never stop us pursuing the people that God has created us to be. It just means that when we do fail, when we do fall, we know that the God who created us, the God who purposed our life is the same God who is faithful to us and offers us grace and forgiveness. And 1 John 1, 9 reminds us of this, as it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are called to be a faithful people. But we really can only understand faithfulness when we look to the God who is faithful. We have all stuffed up in this room, yet God continues to be faithful to us. It is only as we experience God's faithfulness that we will ever have the ability to be faithful people, to be faithful to God and to be faithful in our marriages. Would you pray with me? We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.